So I think it's a real job. It's a, a job where you have to reinvest yourself. Yes, you have to invest time. I sometimes see probably among people who have not so much experience yet on board. They really have in mind having just a great job sitting a couple of meetings and that's it. This is Exploring Leaders, episode 25, with professor, board member and entrepreneur Michael Hilb. Michael will share his own story and his perspectives about findings on truly successful and trailblazing board chairs, inspiring you to take responsible leadership in the digital age. Do you wonder how trailblazing leaders sense at scale? Involve to innovate and align the actions in this increasingly digital world? Welcome to the Exploring Leaders Podcast. The experienced team at Degosian interviews leaders from around the world for insights and inspiration on how to lead in the digital age. In this episode, Degosian founder Lizalette Engstam, who is also an independent board chair and director, researcher, author, and advisor, asks the questions. Our guest today is professor, board member, and entrepreneur Michael Hilb. Michael works on several corporate boards, as well as on the International Board Foundation, on European Confederation of Directors Association, on Chapter Zero Switzerland, and he teaches strategy, entrepreneurship, and corporate governance at universities as St. Gallen, Zurich, and Singapore. Michael will share his own story and his perspectives about some findings from truly successful and trailblazing board shares. Michael is passionate about supporting companies and boards to use modern strategies and an entrepreneurial approach also in corporate governance. This episode focuses on his journey and approaches he finds useful for the top companies, leaders and boards. Michael Hibb. It's fantastic to, to finally have a chance to interview you and to discuss a bit again. Uh, and you are a multi-artist because you are an entrepreneur yourself. You are also working on a number of boards and you are a professor and teaching a lot around strategy and governance and entrepreneurship, I believe. Is that correct? That's correct. So I wanted to hear your story a bit first to start with and share with the listeners. What have you done to take you where you are? What is the little roots that took you here? I think, first of all, it's a real pleasure and privilege to be with you, Lislot. I think also following your thinking and thoughts and activism to really promote corporate governance. I think it's really great the job you're doing. And so it's very great to have this dialogue today with you. Thank you. So, it, so in, in my case, again, as I said, I had a couple of hats. I would say different perspectives on the top of corporate governance. And it actually started very traditionally. So I graduated, studied business. Then what do you do after business? You go into consulting. You, you go into uh, pursuing industrial careers. I, I used to work for a very big multinational, becoming head of strategy, initial business, vice president. And... In that experience, I really noticed that on the one hand, yes, there are a lot of strategic questions you have to deal with, and it's very exciting and interesting. But in the end, it's also very important not to forget about the human factor and to really understand the decision makers, what they believe, how they see the world, how they frame the world. And in any companies, usually this is the board and the executive team. So these are usually those two bodies which are instrumental in defining and deciding the direction of companies. Plus, you have to know the owners and what they want and what they don't want. Uh, and this little bit led me then to, to shift more the focus on governance or really becoming very interested in governance. Mm. And then I started teaching governance as well. I started, was elected to some boards as I got some first-hand experiences. And also then a little bit shifting my research into that direction, a little bit away from strategy and entrepreneurship, more, more away from the what, more onto the how and, mm. and why. And that's something which I think it's still, I still have many open questions, which I try to discover and explore. And I think it's very fascinating to see as well the differences in, in different types of companies, different types of ownership structures, and how people make decisions at the top and yeah. how they not always fully rational how these decisions come along. That is for certain true. And it's also 
a, a world that is changing around us at an absolute unprecedented time. It goes so quickly and there's so many changes. And as you're saying, the, the governance should have more of a human touch, but maybe sometimes it becomes really just a tick in the box kind of discussion. <laughs> I think you're right. Um, That's probably the risk exactly. Right? There's so much yeah. change and probably some people resort to what actually can be controlled or the right. belief can be controlled. That's just yeah. checking yeah. the box, correct. So what are some of the engagements that you are working on now? Uh, yes, yeah, so just give tackle. So I'm also wearing three hats. So on one hand, I'm sitting on a couple of boards, which are three companies. It's quite different. Some of them are listed. Some of them are owned by families. Some of them are consumer uh, industries. Others are in, in B2B. So quite quite a different portfolio. And I'm also sitting on boards of a, a number of foundations mm-hmm. as well, and one kind of public entity as well. So I'm. It's really interesting to see that all the differences between different organizations in terms of government structure. That's one hat and the positions I have. Second hat is I'm, I'm an academic, so I'm teaching as well, managing entrepreneurship and corporate governance at Stanford universities in Switzerland, as well as in Asia and Singapore. And then thirdly, I also have my own company, which again is involved in a couple of different areas. It's still a very small one, but it's growing and interesting to, to really be entrepreneurial and beyond an entrepreneur. Yeah. So these are the three three hats and varying, and I think in all of them, corporate governance plays a major role. So in the first yeah. hat, as a board member, yes, you try to practice, you'll be good at corporate governance. The second one, as, a, as an academic, you know, you can take a step back. You can just mm. surf, uh, come ask questions, and trying to come up with some theories or at least explanations why it works this way. Mm-hmm. And as an entrepreneur, you really see that governance, there's not one fits all form of governance but actually if you build a new business if you build new companies yes you probably don't want to start with full-fledged perfect sophisticated governance structure but you try yeah. to build governance as the business grows yeah and the other thing that matches very nicely with the focus areas you have is that basically board work and corporate governance is changing as you and i are speaking <laughs> indeed exactly i think it's right. changing and I think, interestingly, I think a couple of different types of changes which which can observe. On the one hand, yes, you have new topics coming up, new technologies, new industry trends, and so on. I think it probably has been there all the way. But yeah. I think the second change, it's really, I think, I see the expectation from right. society, from politics. Hmm. I think the board is really seen as the personification of yeah. responsibility, of corporate behavior. That's what people can make sense of. So they have people, potential people, which they can look at which in the end are responsible account for everything that happens mm. with the company. And I think that's also has been there in the past, but I think the combination of this I think high demands, much more kind of things you have to consider and the higher expectations from shareholders, owners, and society makes it, I think, a really fascinating job to do at being a board member, but also a very demanding one at the same time. Yes, yeah. And you don't really have a checklist to follow anymore. <laughs> you have to try to work out your own checklists. So what would you say is the common myth about working on boards? There are a couple of them. I think the one most common myth is actually that it's just a great job and not you only deal with exciting questions and it's the best job on, on the planet. I think it's a great job. But I think there's also a lot of time you have to do really boring stuff. You have to read a lot of papers. You have to go into the numbers. You have to debate and so on. So I think it's a great job. I think there's also a job which is very demanding where you have to really, you have to Mm. work. You have to invest Mm. time. You have to invest energy. You have to be ready to go for some fights, constructive way to to debate and so on. So I think it's a real job. It's a, a job where you have to reinvest yourself, you have to invest time. I think that's probably one myth I sometimes see probably among people who have not so much experience yet on board. They really have in mind having just a great job sitting a couple of meetings and that's it. And that's one myth. I think the second myth I would say for those who are very much best versed in, in, in being a board member, that being a board member, it's mainly about compliance and mainly yeah. about supervising and make sure there's no risk or no mistakes. I think that's, yes, that's one very important part of being a board member, one of, the, of your tasks you have, but I think it should be much more. It really should be to help the company to create value, 
to also have sometimes the courage yeah. to go against the mainstream if you say it does not really not make sense in this particular case. I think that's something which I think it's very fascinating, but again, it's something which might be a little bit different to what some people might have in mind what a board seat yeah. uh, consists of. And thank you. I think that is, it's always good to also put a bit of contrast into these discussions. And this is actually a very good contrast going into the next discussion, because you and a colleague of yours have done a piece of research, at least interviews for an article, uh, which is very fascinating, I think. And we need more of those inspiring examples. So can you first just give us a flavor of how did that come about? How, how, how did it come about that you actually did this article? Yeah. So actually, it was one of these pieces which have grown out of the pandemic, where the pandemic where you had a so a little bit some time to, to think about some more time for research and you had to reorganize yourself. And then a friend of mine, he teaches, it's Harry Kareem. He has been working on these topics for a long time. He's written a couple of books on strategy and governance. He's teaching at London Business School. And we actually have been discussing a couple of times that when you look at corporate governance from a legal perspective, that's yeah. one way to look at. But if you look from a strategic perspective, then there are a couple of questions which which come along. And one of the key questions is that strategy, there you, we always teach the students, as you know, we commonly try always to be competitive, be, be distinctive, to have something very different to anybody else. That's how you become more competitive, you are distinct. And we were saying, look, that's, yes, that makes sense, and companies usually behave this way, but when we look at boards and actually what usually people talk about boards or write about corporate governance, it's mainly about that you should become more uniform, more standardized, that you really should comply with this best practice and this code of conduct and whatever. So it's the main debate or main direction of this discussion has always been become more standardized and more formalized in the work we do at boards. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, when you look at strategy, it's the opposite. There is a do it different, differently to anybody else. So that's mm-hmm. what a little bit the, the, the questions we started with. Like actually, so this seems to be a little bit of a disconnect between these two perspectives. So how did it work out? And we said, look, we were had no clue, the two of us. So we were not, we had some theories or hypotheses, but we didn't really know how to address the questions. And then we said, okay, then let's ask those <laughs> who have to answer it, which are chair, chairs of boards of very successful companies. Yeah. Uh, so we believe they need to have found some way to, to solve this dilemma. Yeah. And then we reached out to a couple of chairs, which of companies which were believed doing a really good job in terms of looking at performance, mm. looking at how innovative they are, how competitive they are you know, versus their peers in industry. And we were very fortunate, and it's probably a little bit thanks to the pandemic, that these chairs were very open to talk to us. Yeah. <laughs> they might also have a little bit more time, less traveling during the pandemic. So they, they said, okay, why not have a call with these two guys and talk a little bit about their role as chairs. Yeah. And we had these conversations, and first of all, we really thought as doing some half-hour, one-hour talks, but actually in all instances, we ended up talking much longer with them. And it was a really interesting dialogue because also for us, there were a lot of discoveries which we did not even anticipate or even think of. And the question we asked was very simple. We just actually tried to understand how do they see and define the role as chairs and how do they mm-hmm. set the rules, the standards, the approaches, how they work as well. Mm-hmm. And we found one, I think, common denominator with all the cases. The cases uh, have been Maersk, the company you might know, and Shim Hagman Snabe, uh, Nestle, Mr. Prabek as chair, and Hilti, which is a company in the construction technology, with Mr. Hilti, the owner, as well as a former chair. And what we found, what those three did, yeah, surprisingly differently than anybody else, what we assumed was that they're actually didn't care too much about any of the rules, what we always teach as best practice of corporate yeah. government. So they were quite deliberately breaking some of the rules. Mm. But they did actually not just to break the rules, but with very good reasons, because they had very good reasons why they want to do it differently. And in all the cases, it made a lot of sense why they did it differently, because it was total in line with the strategy and where they come from. And that we found quite interesting to see that actually courage, the courage to break yeah. rules that seems to be a common denominator of those which you would consider successful companies. So I think that is super interesting uh, for so many reasons. And there's two analogies that I think about directly. We've done a piece of work also around transformational boards and we're finding absolutely the same thing. 
we absolutely also find that it actually doesn't matter if it's a private family business listed, these fantastic shares actually take a lead. And they take a lead in a very different way than a lot of other boards. And they are brave. Other analogy I think of is this, the, the, the fantastic writer, Malcolm Gladwell, who has actually done a piece of research just on entrepreneurs and that the biggest difference they have is that they go against social risk. They risk themselves as part of the job. Do you think that these guys actually also risk themselves a bit? I really like your analogy because actually the, when we submitted the paper, we actually put the title the entrepreneurial board. It was our, our title, then the editor changed it to this title, because it's also what we thought. We thought all these actually are really entrepreneurs, so entrepreneurs yeah. entrepreneurial chairs. Yeah. And there I think, I'm, I'm with you, I think also from entrepreneurship research, I think, yeah, you create, identify opportunities if you are willing and able to think beyond or outside the box, and then yeah. go beyond that and, and a little bit go against norms. That's where you find the opportunities. And I would say that's uh, very much, I think that's what else could be said yeah. by the three uh, sir, uh, gentlemen. Uh, they also deliberately, but also very in a very constructive way, right. challenged, I would say, some norms and came up with a better solution mm-hmm. for the companies and for everybody involved in those companies. Yeah. And maybe we should say, so everybody... Uh, that is Googling now as we're talking that the title of the article is Reinterpreting the Role of the Board of Directors. It's a mouthful. (laughs) It's hard to say. (laughs) You can check out more hints and tips in the blog post covering this podcast episode of Exploring Leaders at the Degotian blog, which you can find at degotian.com. Can we do a bit of little dive into each of them because there's some fantastic examples uh, that they have implemented as almost like a standard for their boards and if we start with Hilti what did you find specifically around that that you thought was really interesting? Yes so probably just for those who probably don't know Hilti very well it's a a company it's based in Liechtenstein and it's one of the leading companies in providing solutions for the construction industry so you might have seen the red kind of utilities around and so they have been actually on the one hand very innovative in their business models so they had a direct to, to consumer model not consumer but to, to b2b model which made them very successful very distinct to any other competitors now when it comes to the governance so it's a company which is privately owned so it's owned by family or the foundation of the family but interestingly they went public, have been public for about eight years and then went private again. So they had the experience of being public. And I think what they did extremely well in that process, so they adopted practices which Mm -hmm. publicly listed companies do and make them stronger Mm -hmm. and also kept them when they went back to being private, but also distinctively defined their own rules of governance, Mm -hmm. what they can do as privately owned owned company. Mm And we adopt this approach embedded board because what they do, what they ask the board members to do, which is select very carefully, they actually ask them to spend a lot of time with the company. Mm. So they usually have to spend about 20, 25 days a year, which is about double of comparable companies. Mm. And they really expect them to go with their salespeople in the field, they expect mm. them to attend project meetings, to mm. meet as many people within the organization and clients and business partners. And also do the same kind of leadership training anybody else as a company. So they really make sure the board members are fully embedded in, into the company. Now, which is a little bit against common practice, which say yeah. don't make sure you get too deep into the operations. That's yeah. very dangerous. You keep the kind of uh, hands out, nose in kind of. It's a little bit against this kind of uh, con- conventions. Yeah. But again, what they do, they, they also have very clear rules. So they say, yes, those people, they just participate. They have no, they're not telling them what to do. They're just there observing have a dialogue and then go back to the board and bring in his experience in a very structured way so it's not interfering with the management not at all mm. but really get a feeling get a sense of what's going on mm. and make sure you can a little bit fight this what you always know this information symmetries between management yes. and boards to really be able to discuss topics on eye level right. at the board yeah and this i found very interesting at this time ask really people really invest your time it's not just attending four meetings mm. a year but you if you join our company as a board member 
you really, we really expect you to spend a lot of time and travel around the globe and get immersed into the nitty gritty of our operations. Yeah, super interesting. And uh, there's a lot of discussion going on right now about the boards governing the culture of the company. It's quite hard if you actually don't know what the culture is. You can't the delay, if you, the only measure you have is the employee survey and looking at Glassdoor, then you really uh, need to find other ways to actually get a flavor in that sense of the company. When you look at what Maersk did and what Jim did there, what did you find there? I think what I find very interesting about Jim's approach, and I think a lot has been written about different aspects of how he runs his government, which is really fascinating. And as well, if you look at the success in terms of really digitizing or really helping digitize the company and from the board and with the management. And I think what I found very interesting that he took a very deliberate approach of, of formulating his, his role or reframing his role when he went into this company and saying, mm -hmm. look, yes, I know as a board member chair, we do compliance, direction and control. But I really believe my main contribution value add will be the direction or helping you to find the direction of this value creation. That's where I think I can really add value. Yes, mm -hmm. control and compliance is important and, and, and we are quite well at that and we should also spend some time. But let's make sure we spend most of the time in our board meetings discussing the, our company, looking at the future. What actually are future challenges? What's the, how do we meet them? Mm -hmm. And I think he did it, in my view, with very smartly. On the one hand, I think what he did, which I found quite interesting, it's very pragmatic, but I think a very great approach. He came in his first board meeting and handed out his, his mission. said, look, that's how I want to lead this board. So mm. a statement of what he believes his role will be, what the board should be. And he said, look, that's how I envision to, to lead this board. If you don't like it, please tell me now. Yeah. <laughs> But otherwise, that's how I'm going to do it. And a lot of things will change. How are we going to work? Mm -hmm. We might have, we'll have different agendas. We'll spend our time differently. So I think there was one thing which I found very strong, really being very clear as a chair, how are you going to lead this board? And he, yeah. he, and he really said, we have a lot of opportunities challenge ahead with technology and digitalization and sustainability. And we really have to discuss those topics and really decide on direction. And then secondly, another very pragmatic approach, which he took, which I find was great. He was explaining how he's usually preparing for board meetings. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was saying what he usually does, he gives the management few, a few questions, very simple questions, and then really expects management to come back with some answers or some options of how they see it. Mm -hmm. So avoiding this just being bombarded with PowerPoints and yeah. a lot of paper and documents, but really the chair asks very clear, simple questions about the future and then the management dealing with those questions and then coming back and then having a debate, a real, a real debate on what the future might be and what it might mean for the company. Mm -hmm. I think also a little bit breaking this convention of formalization, documentation, yeah. over-documentation, I think it really yeah. encouraged you to break, break through. Very and, uh, exciting in, in that sense that that it also, he also, in some ways, to his questions, gives them a bit of direction. It's an, sure, it's influencing. I think it's yeah. definitely not a telling, but it's an influencing or yeah. motivating others to, to think and reflect. I think really yeah. engage them in a really dialogue um, mm. and without having the outcome in mind. I think that also mm. found very strange. Yeah. That he was yeah. also very open. He, he didn't know himself exactly what, what the outcome might be, mm. but at least asked these really big questions from time yeah. to time. Yeah. And uh, I mean, he changed also people around himself in that board as he joined it a bit. But I guess he must have talked a lot also to the owners about his process, his approach. Exactly. Uh, I think definitely, I think, fully aligned with the owners in Denmark, you have the foundations, kind of it's pretty exactly. special. Construct, you might know much better than yeah. I do. But if the family there and be very clear as well with them, what actually, what value I can bring to the table as yeah. a pair. Uh, right. what they expect, how we'll do it. I think that was definitely, yeah. as far as I could observe, very well aligned between the owners, the chair, the board, and then the management. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing is interesting, the way you choose these three, uh, or they choose to answer you, uh, is that they're actually quite different industries, all of them. And, but they all also have used 
basically a lot around digitization and sustainability to actually transform their business. Uh, so you can see that in, in all of them. And we're coming to one that has really done that a lot, and that is Neste. So what did you find there? Yes. So Nestle, if you look just at how they set up the governance, you would say there are a couple of question marks. First of all, they appointed the former CEO as chair, something which people usually are very critical. Secondly, they have a huge board. Far too many people, if you follow kind of normal standards, you'd say yeah. that does make sense. You can't even have a discussion. And then certainly what they also do, they usually invite the management to attend most of the board meetings. So it's usually like a, it gets even bigger. So they have the board and the management and they meet there and have dinner and all that. So that's, so it's a couple of features of, of this governance mm. approach, which you would say, mm, that's probably not state of the art. But, mm. yeah. but what we found that all these kind of designs have been taken for, have been done for a purpose. And I think we believe a very worthy purpose and, mm. and make a lot of sense. If you mm. know the company, if you know where they come from, if you know what they want to achieve. Yeah. So the first topic, I think let's probably start with the first one was having the CEO, the former CEO becoming chair. Yeah. Um, a little bit, you know, controlling his own destiny or legacy in that sense. Yeah. Now with Netflix, yes, they made this decision, but they also at the same time hired a CEO from the outside for the first time, uh, I think for a long time. So they made this very deliberate decision saying, yes, you know, we want to, we need to make some transformations, some transitions mm -hmm. that we all know digitalization and the CG industry has been quite under pressure also from activist investors in the case of Nestle. But mm. so I said, yes, we need change, but we also need to make sure we can maintain what we have done mm. well in the past. So they made this very deliberate choice to have kind of this team thinking as a team, CEO's chair as a team, mm. and having a newcomer or something from the outside and some an insider doing this job. And they have done quite successfully. I think if you look at the activists, mm. at least from the activist perspective, they were very vocal at the beginning, mm. but now they have become quite constant. The price has been going quite well in the right direction for them. And there has been very little outspoken criticism of that. Uh, so I think uh, things have really worked this kind of this, this team approach of leading a company. And, and anything then, else you found that they did that you found interesting in their board work or governance? I think the second element, which also found very interesting, is how they see the board and, and how they see the management. As I said they have a huge board. And, yeah. but very diverse set of people from all continents, from uh, different disciplines and different kind of industry backgrounds, which also makes all sense. If you look at Nestle, Nestle, it's a huge company. They're all over the place, all the globe, in very different mm. industries. Mm. And so if you really want to have all these different perspectives represented in, in a board, yes, yeah. you probably need a couple of people. Otherwise you, you won't be able to cater for the diversity of the company. Yeah. And what they say, what we believe main role of the board, it's really to provide these different perspectives. That's what we, I think, where the board can add value in. Yeah. Also in exchange with the management. So the management can really learn from the board members what's now the issues in Africa or what's the issue in a, another industry which might have been a little bit advanced in digitalization and so right. on. So really get, really see it as a sounding board as well. It's yeah. true sense. Yeah. And I think what also I think led to that realization was, if you remember, Nestle had quite some issues in the past. The milk. Mm -hmm scandal but then they had the water scandal they always have been exposed to quite some pressures yeah you know, in some part of the world where i think their behavior was seen as, as rather critically mm. and therefore i think they have really developed a very deep understanding that we really need to listen mm. out we need to listen what different people mm. think about us so how they see the world and what mm. is changing and i think that's maybe really led to a very much a stakeholder led approach of a board yeah. Yeah. And really ensuring we use the board as an ear and eyes to the board right. and ensuring this transfer from the inside to the outside of the company. Basically represent the stakeholders, exactly, uh, yeah. representatives on the stakeholders. I think it's very interesting because the way they've done it, it's still, they're still board members, even if they are part of some stakeholder as, at the same time. So I think that's very interesting. Now, if you can draw some conclusion now out of this, what do you think that maybe owners and chairs need to think about? Because owners have a big influence on how the board is composed and acted. And what different questions should investors ask instead of the quite traditional one they're asking now? 
I think there's probably three I would ask, propose here, three questions. Number one, or you see really the board as a source of competitive advantage or the mm. whole governance. There you can really, if you make it right, you really can add value to mm. the company or share and stakeholders. Mm. Really view it not as a compliance, but really as a value creator, which mm. with huge impact. I think number two, make sure you hire or propose a chair or a leader, which is entrepreneurial, which really has the courage to challenge conventions. Somebody who really is committed, he wants to lead the board and the company, and he also takes some risks in doing so. Mm. And number three, probably, yes, don't take all what's written about corporate governance too seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Ask yourself, does really make sense in this particular context or might there be even a better solution for our company, our context? And that's very interesting. If you look at the world where we have a lot of institutional owners, which basically take proxy advisors and have their checklists. So... We're actually telling the investors then you need to get out of the checkbox and actually think before you just apply the list, which not necessarily very easy for them when they have a lot of ownerships. I think it's, you're right, it's a very interesting observation because I think it's not very easy in terms of accountability, but also of probably lack of experience. If you <laughs> have not led a company, if you have not been an entrepreneur, if you don't know this business Yes, it's much easier to rely on a checklist yeah. and rely on another advice. So I think it also means the question of who should be in deciding on, on, on these votes. And would it also be valid to probably have some more people, not just from the finance investment community, but as well people from with some operational experience who really can see what could work, it might not work as well. So that's probably also something which might be a little more complex and complicated than just issuing checklists, yeah. <laughs> which might lead to some more value creation than just yeah. relying on those lists. I think that's a really inspiring view that we can think about. So if you were to give advice to chairs and boards now, what would you advise them to do? I think, first of all, really think about your approach to governance. Mm. Again, I think it can add so much value to it, and also it can destroy value if you don't do it. Really have a deliberate discussion, debate about what's the best way of approach to governance. And again, Mm. usually companies are not there, so they need to probably a little bit be aspirational and probably need to have a roadmap how to get there. It's totally fine, and it doesn't need to change from today to tomorrow. Mm. But have really have a strategic perspective on governance. I think that's probably one I think debate yeah. which I would have, which then definitely will have what I said before. Not everybody might fit this new approach. Yeah. Again, it might be the wrong chair, it might be yeah. wrong members. You have also the courage then to, to make some changes there, or propose some changes there as well. And I would say one of the traits of board members, we always look at demographics or functional expertise, all this, which are easy to qualify. But also don't forget about looking for entrepreneurial mindsets. People who really want to grow, want to build something, want to create mm-hmm. value. Yeah. I think that's, for me, one of the most important mindsets of what one should have, yeah. or at least the chair should have. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because one of the directions a lot of investors go is that they're guiding a lot around the remuneration and financials. But in fact, will that take away some of the passion angles that we're looking for in a totally different type of leader what do you think that's a very interesting question i've never thought about this in this relation but i think you're totally right if if i look at those people or people i believe do a very good job i think none of them is really driven by money i think that's Mm. not what drives them and makes them take these decisions Mm. through people who want to shape who want to create something yeah. And I would be with you. I think if you just can convince people to join because of the compensation package or incentives, it probably might not be the people really need as leaders. They might mm. have some other mm. function roles they can fulfill in a board. But I think as a leader, you re- as a chair, you need somebody who is really passionate about, wants to shape, wants to yeah. as well probably leave a legacy of him or her. I think this, in my view, it's much more important than mm. just the financial mm. dimension. Mm. To get even more value out of the podcast series Exploring Leaders, you can find everything from research reports to advice and courses at the Degotian website, which you can find at degotian.com.
so you have now talked about these three leaders and these three companies and i think we need to look for and share increasingly about these good companies uh, and leaders because that's something we can role model and emulate from is there any other organization or leader you think is starting to do some inspiring things around both the strategy but still being in the board and leadership position in that way yeah so i'm usually really like really to talk to people before i make some judgment <laughs> from just observing and or from hearsay and then usually when i write about them i also have them make sure they are, they are greeting so therefore i probably not give any names now on, on this one right. here but, but i would say what my experience has been i think there are a lot of very good examples in many boards you know it might not be the one great example where everything is perfect but i think if you have people entrepreneurial minded people i think yeah. and they are able to translate what they probably have done in the past very well yeah. into the board and also kind of make a little bit different but that's the board context i think there i think you find quite a number of very good examples mm. uh, of practices and mm. and i would say one one of them or probably the most important one it's really as well board members i think also what we found are humble are really not believe they know everything but they're also exploring as they go so they said actually yeah. also have to try to find out myself what might be the best approach also learn from others be open for our opinions i think this humbleness again it's something mm. which we might not always associate with being a board member because you need to be self-confident you need to prove what you've done in the past but i think if you reach that where you can be humble i think that's again it's going to be a sign that somebody is really open for changes and also open to learn from others yeah yeah i think that's absolutely right and you now shared this article and we're going to put into the blog post and the material so people can find where they can find this fantastic article but this is not the only thing you share. You actually share quite a lot of interesting things. So if people want to follow you or find you, or maybe even hire you, how do they do that? Where do they find you? So I think a couple of ways. I'm very easy to find. So you either go to my website, which is hill.com. There you find all the connections. Mm -hmm. Or you also can, I'm usually using mainly LinkedIn for social media communication, where you find me LinkedIn at Michael Hill. Michael. So yes, I'm, I'm very, exactly, I'm very always eager to learn, to interact with other people. You think we can learn so much from each other, I think. On, yeah. on and you're also putting your neck out there because both you and I actually have joined one chapter each of the Climate Governance Initiative. So we have understood that we can use businesses for not only doing, but actually be a bit of the driving forces to make changes and definitely the ones you interviewed were also part of that uh, if you could wish something for more boards to do change what would you wish for i think the simple wish i would have it's really seeing many of the challenges as opportunities really change the mindset and not only looking at the issue mm. challenges you have with now with wars or climate change mm. in the end it's a great opportunity for companies and boards to either yeah. be the first one to tackle it in a creative innovative way to be a role model and i think yeah if you have this mindset i think then all challenges become opportunities and become also much fun to to work on yeah yeah, yeah. It's very interesting on that topic. Uh, I think most board members are much better placed on actually spending time on inventing around sustainability and not I'm not down in the business, but going for new visions and new opportunity areas and ask around that yeah so i have a final question and i ask that to everybody that i interview and it's not a normal question but it's just a fun one and that is if you were a furniture what would you be i think i probably would hopefully be a round table a lot of people could come and i could connect i think that's what i usually like to do to connect people and to find solutions around table is i think the best place still to find solutions and find consensus and, and good ways forward i think that's an excellent way to uh, to end this and also get a picture of you thank you so much michael for this interview it's been really exciting thank you thanks a lot for having me all the best and 
so now we i'm gonna cut it off <laughs> from there but it was fantastic it was super good and, okay. and, and really that? good examples and uh, i'm sure people will have to go and look for the article as soon as <laughs> they've heard you now because it's it's really good linkages too but the other thing that i think and I did this piece work together with Stanislav on also on the chairs. And I still think, I think the role is still underestimated. I think it's super powerful. I think, much, you, I think you just mentioned that you were chair of this company, which you were just sold, huh? you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yes, you probably know best the, the work, which is associated yeah. with the, the influence you can have or the impact yeah. you can have on, on, on yeah. the outcome, I think. And I'm also with you. I think it's in particular, I think in many jurisdictions, particularly versus the CEO, it's this, yeah, it's, it's quite imbalanced how much attention we give to CEOs and CEO selection yeah. and, and versus the chair, which again, in the end, it's the critical person. If everything goes wrong or if some Absolutely. big decisions need to be made, it's the chair, which is pivotal at, at this point. Yeah, and it, definitely pivotal in terms of not just getting the company to end up on this slippery slope of optimization, but to actually get it somewhere. <laughs> Because uh, I think that is really the, uh, the I, I'm just thinking back on all of the things that, that I've done in my career and everything has been about, you need to do 10% more, 10%, 3%, 10%. I kind of think, yeah, but we need to do different things. <laughs> yeah, I think in particular because, you know, my experience has always been usually the management, they are in this more narrow, which is okay, which yeah, is what they're yeah, paid yeah. for. It's good they not doing uh, you know, always big things. But I think therefore, I can take the board and should be a little bit of counterweight. Otherwise, yeah. both go in the same direction. Yet there's no, it's impossible. It will really transform. It will just yeah. move yeah. in the same direction. Thank you so much uh, for this. Problem. I think it was fantastic. I have a couple of other things. I think we should try to see if we can do a webinar later on between the chapters. That was super cool. That's great. Yep. One of the things that I want to let you know, and I don't know if but we have all of this discussion about education and we have an education committee on CGI. I have a slightly different perspective than some of the others. And I'm more concerned that we are going in and starting to define too much what this board education should be, because I don't think I don't think we should do that. So one of the things I've done <laughs> that I at least go into publish for the Nordics is I have tried to identify all board education that exists in the Nordics and outside. So I am going to point to your education as one of them that I found that you're doing, but I'm not sure that I have found all. So maybe there is there, and in our case, and I don't know if you remember this, but we are not just talking about climate. We are talking about sustainability. Exactly. Into the right approach, right in way. fact, actually, we the way we look, we worked out the education scheme is actually to say, here's the one which is focused on climate. Here's the one which is focused on sustainability. Here's the board education that has sustainability included in it. Okay, yeah, yeah. So try to do it depending on what you're looking for. <clears throat> I think, you know, that's also been our experience. Actually, we set up this impact board program, but it was a very hard sell to have kind of people coming just for this topic. So yeah. we also now more tend to integrate it more into the other programs. Yeah, I think it's the most sustainable way as well, because you want yeah. to reach those who are who not sign up for this program. This right. one you want to reach in particular. So right. I'm also with you. I think the more focus you get, I think the more the few people you will really attract. And yeah. then if you get to standardize even less people, so I think that's, yeah. I think, against the purpose. Yeah, Yeah, and uh, I also think that if you go too narrow, if it's everything is climate, they can go to hundreds of climate courses. They don't need to wait for a board course to be on. To be yeah, on. exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> but there are a couple of findings that, and maybe we don't have time now, but I'd like to explore with you because... We've been doing a couple of different things and we're, we took the principles and then we have run both digital programs, but peer exchanges around them. And we have findings basically from all of the different areas. But if I start with some of the key findings, it's really people are saying, oh, yeah, I don't know exactly how should I work with that. But the base problem is first, they actually don't listen to the stakeholders. 
So they don't, they haven't listened. They haven't prioritized the stakeholders. Then when you get to the next piece is they haven't actually been part of creating the risk analysis and risk map. And if they've done it, they've done it separately for sustainability yeah. compared to the rest. And you can't do that either, right? Yeah. And then going for the next piece, they have the way that they have been taught, it's very risk oriented. They're forgetting all of the opportunity side and now we're coming into the really good thing here, which I'd love to spend another hour with you, not right now. And that is the entire area of strategy is changing as we speak. So there's two things happening. How do you actually do strategy? Do you do it once or do you do it many more times? And what's the board's role? Where should the board be? And I don't know if you have started, if you have good courses that you do, but I think that is actually part of the sustainability problem. Uh, I don't know. Just no, I totally with you. I think this, this, this separation, I think it's, it's very dangerous because what you end up, it's, and all you see that the companies already now, you have the staff functions of sustainability. Yeah. yeah. And then it's all done. The, the CEO doesn't yeah. even think about it, the board as well. We have this team. Yeah. And that's what they see with the big companies, which I think it's really pity. All these great things. If you ask both of them, they have no clue because say somebody else does it. It's, it's under control. Okay. You know, as we have yeah. our facility management, our sustainability management. Right. And I think that's for me really dangerous because I think it's really, you really tend to underestimate yeah. what it needs for this climate transition. It's a huge yeah. task ahead. Yeah. And you really need an integrated perspective. Uh, opportunities. Otherwise, there will be no chance you will have a meaningful contribution as a company. I'm fully with you. I think I, I also would share many of your observations. Mm. And I think the, another one, which I think also, I think it's getting quite dangerous is the politicization of the topic. Yeah. I think you can see in the US very clearly, but even in Europe, if I look in Switzerland, some small, mid-sized companies, yeah, they are, it's getting very political, this debate. Yeah, yeah. Which again, I think we have to acknowledge, but you have also to find, find ways around because that's yeah. usually a very bad sign if things get political. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's a very good reason not to do anything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you just look too risky. Yeah. But let's see if we can put up something else. Because if you're with your groups are running more towards this, really having good ways and debate around the materiality in terms of scenarios and trends and then getting that what the boards when should the board interject and with what i think that's a super interesting yeah. question and i think if we can find a way to actually clear that up a bit because i can basically I don't think that we, I've seen a collaborative process around it. I think that's what I'm challenged with. So either it's management doing it and the boards don't really understand what they did mm. or the board takes it over and basically does it for them. And then it's not owned by the management, but there needs to be a, a bit of step process with do this piece first. And I think that one of the things we've got stuck in is these things with strategy days. So we have strategies, two days or three days. You have to ponder a bit in between and you have to collect new data. You have to do new things. And I don't know if you are seeing good processes for that. Yeah, I think, yeah, I always say, I always say I think the three things which I think need to change when you look at, at the process when it comes to these strategies. One, it's what it says before, I think, you need to have ways to to be in touch throughout the year. You can't just yeah, around yeah. judge days. And so you, I think usually what, what I one approach very pragmatic I seeing is that you have some delegates of the boards or a small mm. community which then has this has time to reinteract but really reports back and, and does not decide yeah. but still is close to the, mm. to the board. I think the second challenge I see is you have to be you have to open up for input from the bottom of or, or from the yeah. market or from yeah. the outskirts of the yeah. organization. Yeah. Here again I think. I think what Hilti does, I think, is a very good way to make sure board yeah, members, yeah, and, you know, intermingle yeah. with this level three, four, five of an organization yeah. and really get this fixing uh, inputs. And then I think the third challenge I see with strategy, and that's probably, I think, the biggest one, it's really companies engage more in partnerships with other companies. And usually the board is totally let out. They don't yeah. integrate this governance into the overall governance. 
Yeah. Which for me, it's one of the reasons so many alliances and partnerships fail because yeah. there's no connect to the top. The board members not showing right. other boards and all that. I think these are for me three real challenges when it comes mm. to strategy and mm. where I think, yeah, I see some kind of some good practice, but still it's not yet dealt in a, no. in a, in a structured way. Yeah. So we'll have to keep looking for good practices yes. and share with each other. But, but for me, it's very much when we have a lot of these peer sessions, we very quickly just go to the core of the issue, which isn't sustainability. It's this that we haven't agreed. We haven't agreed on the uh, prioritization of the stakeholders. We haven't even talked to the, some of them. <laughs> I mean, it starts very much earlier, which is really interesting. So I think there are we just need uh, to have, there are some processes in some areas, which is already there, but it's not used. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but it would really be great if we could do something jointly on this. I think it's yeah. a very exciting topic to a little bit look at this debate from a different angle. More, yeah. Not, yeah. Not, not content-wise, but more the how. And exactly. Dynamics for the yeah. Let's agree that we do something and, exactly. and then we just figure out what we're going to do. I uh, So I have a couple of other podcast interviews that I've done before, so this is going to take a bit of a while. But when I'm done, I'm, I'll share with you both the recording and the podcast and a little blog post so we can get some of these facts also in there and some of the links in there. And if it's anything else that you like to share, uh, absolutely do. And I'd like to have a photo of you. Okay, okay, I'll tell you one. Okay, And anything else you think is good for you or good for others, do mm -hmm. share it and we'll include it. Okay, it's very kind. Uh, well, I think it's been a real pleasure. We really, yeah, really like this conversation and really hope, yes, I'm sure we'll do something on the other topic and then hopefully have the chance to meet as well. Huh? Yes, indeed. In the near future. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. Have a good evening. Bye bye. listening to Exploring Leaders, a podcast produced by Degotion with the ambition to inspire insightful leadership in the digital age. If you found this episode interesting, join the momentum to amplify the voices of trailblazing leaders by sharing it with others for inspiration. For any questions or recommendations on other inspiring leaders you like to listen to, contact us via our website, degotion.com, or via social media as LinkedIn or Twitter.